0: I'm very happy to be talking about The Infant Kiss because it, it holds a really huge place in my heart as probably her, my favorite vocal performance of hers in her entire body of work. And it's probably my second favorite song on this album, After Breathing. And I love this album. This is my third favorite album of all time. So that means I love it a lot. And it's also an extremely complex song with a mm-hmm. very rich history and backstory And even if it didn't have that, it's just really fascinating as a piece of vocal work and musical work.
1: to strange phenomena the music of Kate Bush I am Cecily Link and this week we are going to be talking about the 8th track from Kate Bush's third album Never Forever called The Infant Kiss
2: I say goodnight night it took tight School, only call me
1: and with me to talk about the song this
0: week hi i'm zoe i've been on a bunch of mm-hmm. other episodes um i was last in the wedding list i'm very happy to be talking about the infant kiss because It holds a really huge place in my heart as probably my favorite vocal performance of hers in her entire body of work. And it's probably my second favorite song on this album, After Breathing. And I love this album. This is my third favorite album of all time. That means I love it a lot. And it's also an extremely complex song with a Mm -hmm. very rich history and backstory. And even if it didn't have that, it's just really fascinating as a piece of vocal work and musical work.
1: So speaking of the story behind the song, so let's get into the story. I mean, it of course this was written for her third album, Never Forever, but it is one of those songs that is based on a movie, which in turn was also based on a on a story. Um novella. Let's
0: just the English major with it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it was, this was based on the movie The Innocents, which in turn was based on the story "The Turn of the Screw," neither of which I have either seen or read. I've heard of "The Turn of the Screw," but that was one of those AP English stories that I didn't get to because I wasn't in AP English in high school. But I'd always heard of it.
0: Mm, but you're missing out.
1: I—that's I, what I hear. I hear it's—it's it's quite a creepy story. Like I read about it a little bit for. I read about like the plot summary for for this episode, but I know you know more about um, a little bit more about this subject matter than I do. So, so tell us a little bit more. Like, what is so what is the Turn of the Screw about? And also, this movie, The sure. Innocence, You're familiar with this here. So, tell us what is all yeah, this about?
0: I'm familiar with both. So the thing is, um, Seth and I, before we started this issue recording, we were saying that what makes the song kind of unique in her body of work, well this is not unique in the, in the sense that it's a story song mm-hmm. um, but it is unique in the sense that it pretty makes, pretty much makes no sense without the context of mm-hmm. the innocent the turn the screw particularly the innocence and that um, so this because if you just hear this song it sounds like it's about pedophilia and it's i I know people who find it disgusting, who don't like to listen to it, they find it uncomfortable and i under- i completely i think that's totally valid. The mm-hmm. thing is it's actually based on a story that isn't exactly about i'll go more into it, but it's actually about a ghost story that seems pedophilic, so I was an English major, like focusing in literary studies and literary analysis and my um my mentor and advisor at school is actually a Henry James scholar, and Henry James the author turned the screw. So there's been literally at this point now like a century. Um, yeah, <laughs> I the screw is now in 1898, but there have been decades and decades, especially in like the early 20th century, decades of controversy and debate over certain subtext of the story. And Kate in her in this song makes that subtext very explicit. this song is actually really interesting from a literary criticism standpoint because she's kind of like taking sides on a big literary debate that's been going on for decades almost century now but anyways so basically so the content is very disturbing it sounds on the surface like it's about a governess who's in love with her little boy that she's the governess for Mm -hmm. Um, and so What I bring under the ivy, the biography on her by Graham Thompson, he made a really fascinating note that he said that it's the reverse of the man with the child in his eyes. Mm. It's the child with the man in his eyes, which is true. And so go into it. So, Turn of the Screw is published in 1898. It's like a novella, probably 90 pages. I highly recommend reading it. Henry James is like the most verbose, wordy author ever. (laughs) But this particular novella is. Is more accessible to read as opposed to his things where all spend have like a paragraph long sentence. It's legitimately scary. I like I remember when I read it in college I was actually scared while reading it. So basically, it's about a a governess who goes to take care of these two children. But the little boy's name named Miles. I don't remember the little girl's name, and um. So she comes to either, depending on your point of view and how you read the story, she either comes to realize or she comes to believe, because she is herself insane, that the two young children are possessed by the spirits of two former employees who are adults. So the story is very, the way that Henry James writes it is very subjective. It's completely in her head. And she's a very classic Poor of the daughter, So she's a classic, unreliable narrator. She also doesn't have a name, which makes the book even more subjective, and you're very much a in uh. her head kind of stream of consciousness. So one quote from Wikipedia is that many critics have wondered if the strange and sinister elements are only in the governess's mind and part of reality. The result has been a longstanding critical dispute about the reality of the ghost and the sanity hmm. of the governess. Um, beyond the dispute, critics have closely examined James's narrative technique. The framing introduction and first person narrative by the governess have been studied by theorists of fiction interested in the power of fictional narratives to convince or even manipulate readers. So the turn of the screw is not just a good scary story, it's also a fascinating psychological story mm-hmm. about where when you're reading it like I remember when we read it in class, basically my I had a really fun, very blunt, fun teacher. So he comes up and the class to class says so how many of you think she's crazy? <laughs> and mm-hmm. like, so cause basically, it's like either you're reading it, you think she's making this all up, or it's an actual ghost story, and you, you don't know how to interpret it. Oh. So in 1961, it was um, adapted into a movie. So there's a subtext in it. I All not a subtext that she seems very fascinated by the little boy who who is possessed by the spirit of a man. Um, and so some literary critics, particularly psychoanalytic literary critics, because they see sex everywhere, um, <laughs> have believed that the governess is in love with Miles. So it was adapted into a movie in 1961 called The Innocent. Um, in that, they give the narrator a name, so it's less subjective. Um, it's also, since it's not a book, you're not reading it literally, you're not reading her thoughts.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So what's, kind of debate as if is she kind of in love with the with miles is made quite explicit in the final scene which this song gets its name from the infant kiss the final shot is of the governess i don't remember what happens but like ghostly stuff happens and the governess kisses miles if you google the innocence ending on youtube it's there i listened to this last night He's kissed. she kisses him in a way that like, honestly looks like they're making out. It's mm. pretty sexualized. And so it makes that implicit sexual content explicit. And so in both the book and the movie, she dies in his arms. But in the book, she does not kiss him on the lips. So it's interesting because the movie, which stars Deborah Kerr as the governess, kind of for people who believe that she's actually crazy and that she's in love with him, for that, that's school of thought, it kind of proves what they've implied for decades of the latent sexuality. But the the way I see it is that the innocence is kind of one interpretation of Turn of the Screw, and it can still be interpreted differently. Mm -hmm. She isn't necessarily in love with him. But the way that Kate Bush clearly watched the movie was seeing it that way, was seeing it as a governess who is very conflicted over her emotions about this young boy who is actually possessed by a man which is still disturbing because, I mean, if you watch the movie, he's a little boy. Like, mm-hmm. he's not, he doesn't appear to her as a man. He He's still he's a little boy. But it's just interesting because it's way more ambiguous in the book and she, and even within the movie, you're wondering whether she's, make, whether this is in her head or whether it's real, but this kind of sexual thing between her and the boy isn't really a big deal for the final infant kiss, where she's kissing him. I remember watching it and being like, they're making ah I mean he's now he's dying in her arms, so he's not really that participatory in it, but <laughs> it's pretty sexualized. Um yeah, so that's the backstory. The backstory is basically it's that it, she meant to, she wrote this song about the governess falling in love with a child who is possessed by a grown up. So she's essentially falling in love with the adult mm-hmm. who's possessing the child. So it's not straightforward pedophilia, but it's
1: still mm-hmm. pedoph- pedophilic. Yeah. It definitely, if you read the lyrics just as they are, I'm, I'm looking to here oh. on Google. <laughs> What's interesting is like that she's singing this from the point of view of a woman singing about, I mean, I mean, the way it looks, that she's singing about a little boy. But can you imagine the uproar if it had been a guy singing about a little girl like this yeah i mean it'd be horrifying i
0: mean it's weird but the thing is i wonder if it was like based on a similar but also i was gonna say maybe not if it was also the case where it was based on a source where that's what the story was about but mm-hmm. they're also i can't think like that's like i guess lolita <laughs> <laughs> People are yeah like, like, that's yeah
1: that's totally so what i'm saying like Lolita.
0: Honestly, It's like so normalized in pop culture in a way, like Mm. a man singing out a younger woman (laughs) is, but not, but is pretty normal. But not in a way where she's saying, "Just a kid and just at school." Back home, they call me dirty. But there's definitely so there. I feel like I've heard a lot of songs of men being like, "Oh, I'm so into this girl and she's so hot You're like a man almost couldn't have written this song because it's so much. She's writing it as a ghost story. It's like it's a sex story. It's a sexual story, but it's it's more about the inner conflict rather than the desire and not to stereotype all men but i feel like songs by men about women tend just be more about the desire rather mm-hmm. than like any conflict about that desire
1: that is true it, it, the conflict over whether the a relationship doesn't really come up in pop music at all <laughs> No, <laughs> if no, all. like,
0: should I feel guilty about this? I don't know. Should I ask for consent? Not a lot of songs
1: have consent Mm-mm. on the top 40. Or, God, any of the rap songs that get blasted around where I live.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> or rock. I mean, plenty of people sing about rap, but rock, like, metal and rock and are rock. just mm-hmm. misogynistic. So... But yeah, but this is a fast... We can get, dig more into the lyrics later, because there are some lyrics mm-hmm. that I really love and some lyrics that make me go, ooh. <laughs> so, and yeah, I've, got but, yeah, to- yeah, and I've, I've got a couple, too.
1: Yeah, and I've got a couple, too, that I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is pretty cool. yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. this the, the song itself like is pretty, it's kind of a simple song, really. I mean, there's there's some guitar, there's a lot of strings, and there's also something, it's yes. called a lyronae, sure. which is a bass member of the Lyra family of instruments that was popular in the late 16th and early 17th century. It's a bowed string instrument. And when played, mm. you, you play it like a cello or a viol, which is very similar to a viola. I'm not a big orchestra. I was a band geek. I played clarinet, but I still find like all these different stringed instruments fascinating, and it's neat that she used these different, uh, these different kind of stringed instruments on the song, and it, it sounds nice and rich as she's singing. Yeah. Uh, under her. Yes, and it's, fu- it's
0: funny because funny how a simple song, because it is, but it also is. it's so intense and that's why Mm i love it so much and the strings make it so intense just the the strings just building and building and building and it's just it builds the tension until the very end when the bass and vocal scream get too much along with her and it's this huge climax so just this mounting tension that where the music completely parallels the psychological tension happening within her that makes this song extremely powerful for me and that's what why i love it so much just the, the it's just it's it's pure gothic straight up gothic tension Mm -hmm. right it's a very gothic song not gothic as in goth gothic as in like capital g gothic
1: also i'm looking at the sheet music here for it from a kate bush the the complete kate bush and the chord progression alone is it i'm looking at these going whoa you got these no wonder it's she did a great job with the chords that she played in this song because there's there's a lot of tension in the chords that she chose like she's got a lot of chords that like i mentioned in other songs that are against each other you wouldn't usually have Mm-hmm. Like she's got for the what is this an infant kiss? She goes from a D to a C sharp, so it's like you're you're descending a little bit. And you wouldn't usually have those chords with each other. It's 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 really neat how she used these these chords to to create help to create that tension. Yeah, you
0: had yeah. some good quotes of things she said about the song because again, it's interesting that she just kind of has this song mm-hmm. on an album and in interviews she explains the context. But if unless you're reading an interview, you're just like. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like here,
1: this this first one uh, was from an interview. This was from the Never Forever debut. I need to look up exactly where that came from, because that's I know I got it from Gaffa and where all that. I think it was a radio. Oh, it was a radio interview that she did in October of 1980, where she was just like talking about the songs. And she says, I don't know if anyone's seen a film called The Innocents It initially inspired it. It's an old British film, a very haunting film about a governess who goes to stay and look after two children, a young boy and a young girl. And unknown to her, they're both possessed by the spirit that lived in there before, the gardener and a maid. And particularly, the boy is in a very, very heavy possession state. He has a, like, 32-year-old man inside him as a spirit. And the governess will go to give him a little, little kiss goodnight, and he suddenly gives her a very big passionate kiss. And the song is about the woman being incredibly torn. She doesn't know what ha- what's happening because there's this really sweet little boy that she loves maternally, and yet through his eyes, there's coming this really wicked, lusty man. And so she can't work out what's happening. She thinks she's going mad when, in fact, there is this terrible, evil force in such a young child that could never have this experience through his own age. And so she's just freaking out, saying, my God, what's happening? And the green is like, yeah. And she says, and it was a distortion that I myself would find terribly disturbing. And me, I and I so. really love <laughs> distortions.
0: Yeah, which that is her saying I really love distortions, but not some up like her entire career mm-hmm. <laughs> and her entire body of work. Yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's interesting how she just the way that she does her to see her view on the, the movie and seeing it as like so something so erotically charged as opposed to a ghost. I mean, it is a ghost story to her, but also a ghost story. Yeah, she's 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 basically like a lot of the literary critics I read around the time I read the Turnus Groove who were like, sex, sex, sex. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and she also says in the Kate
1: Bush News- Club newsletter, she says the infant kiss is about a governess. She's torn between the love of an adult man and a child who are within the same body. And then there's a, it's kind of long here, this, this second interview, which came from, A 1985 issue of Hot Press, Um, the interview Hmm. says that there are other areas where you've specifically taken a taboo as a theme. For example, the infant kiss. And she says, yes, that was fascinating. It was based on the film The Innocents. I saw it years ago when I was very young and it scared me. And when films scare you as a kid, I think they really hang there. Oh, yeah. As a side note, can totally relate to that. Um, it's a beautiful film, quite extraordinary. This governess is supposed to look after these children, a little boy and a girl, and they're actually possessed by the spirits of the people who were in the house before, and they keep appearing to the children. It's really scary, as scary on some levels as the idea of the exorcist, and that terrified me. The idea of this young girl speaking and behaving like she did was very disturbing, very distorted. But I quite like that song. And the says, but there are those who would say it was totally perverse. And she says, I suppose they would. But ac- and actually, I don't think I could find a younger man attractive, let alone a boy. <laughs> but the whole idea of looking at a little innocent boy in that distortion, I mean, it's absolutely terrifying, isn't it? I thought it was ingenious. Great. So weird and natural. And the interview says, but the thing is, looking at it objectively, that's a song about pedophilia. The strange thing is that written by a woman, that seems acceptable. She says, it's very different from a woman's point of view, and I think that's also what's so interesting about it. But did it occur to you that if the song had been written and sung by a man, there might have been a really huge outcry? That's something I never thought about, but I suppose you're right. But a man didn't write it. I don't know. It's a bit hard to understand, but it was the fascination of a very soft, gentle woman who wouldn't consider herself perverse at all. In fact, she wasn't. That's the thing. She thought she was being a of thingy.
0: <laughs> <So> she <laughs> I said, said a like petty pedic- thingy. was the word a, a petty thingy. <laughs> <laughs> but in fact,
1: she wasn't. She was truly picking up a real man's energy and not a kid's because the child was possessed. It's very different if it involves a man and a little girl. The man is so powerful to start with.
0: Was... Yeah, and you see this turmoil in the lyrics between mm-hmm. where she's torn between being a good woman and being bad, and being, quote, unquote bad. back, to that, oh, they call me dirty, all my barriers are going, especially considering that mm-hmm. both the film and the book are in the Victorian era, where there's even more emphasis than there even, than it was in 1980 on being the r- proper woman. Yeah. Um, that this song is very much about like all like how like letting the id take over the ego and superego pretty much.
1: And then the interview says I was thinking of it on a political level, say how would feminists react if I wrote that song? She says, "Yes, if you wrote that song, automatically it would have some weird and dangerous connotations because you don't normally think and this is very heavy this when there are attractions to children from adults, you normally do think of it as men to girls. It's just more spoken of. And I think you're into very negative, dangerous areas that would make it something very unpleasant.
0: Foreshadowing for Valparais. But, but, but but the thing is, it's not about an adult attracted to a child. It's It's a ghost story. So that's what I think distinguishes it. I think that I get like, I'm just biased because I'd already was very familiar with the material before I'd ever listened to Kate Bush. And I didn't know when I listened to it, that it was based on it. But I just, I think I just loved the sound of the song so much. And then I like researched everything I could ever learn about her and learned that it would be dangerous if it were about being attracted to children. But it's not a song about being attracted to children. It's a song about being attracted to a ghost and the turmoil of that. Creates within this woman's technology.
1: I will admit this was not a favorite to start with, but the more I dig into the song and more I realize, like, the story that she's telling a story i like it um i mean it continues her penchant for singing about topics that can be very uncomfortable and i do love her vocals i for for me i like the leaps when she's leaping on let go let go and then having those Mm -hmm. those angelic ahs that lead into the night's ended stock i mean you you wrote it there and that was what i was thinking too let's go let's go I just love yeah, how she's like dumbing. leaping around on in the melody. It makes it very Broadway. It feels very much like a character like you are privy to this woman's thoughts, like she's like turned to the audience
0: and she's having this moment. And it kind of yeah, it kind of sounds like as if the innocence was made for musical and there's this is like a one like a musical number from it.
1: Yeah. And it's I mean, it's got the traveling chord progression that's usually in, in a lot of theater songs. It's got the big leaps in melody that you don't find outside of musical theater. And it sounds beautiful. It really does. And when she's singing this in French, which we'll get into, it sounds even prettier because it's French. I mean, come on.
0: <laughs> yeah, this song is very musical theater, so I understand why people don't like it. I mean, it's the same reason that people don't like a lot of Lionheart. You know, it's it just it's. I mean, who likes musical theater? Like,
3: like yeah.
0: dorky girls and gay guys. But as you mentioned, the odds in the back when she says "Let go, let go," I could at the song ends with her saying, "All my theories are going." I'm it's starting to show. Let go, let go, and then the background there's these haws, and it's it's really be- It's really beautiful and kind of represents that the that her impulses have taken over. That she isn't able to control herself. And then it leads into night sensed stuff very beautifully. And I, I really love the very end of the song. There's a little this might be that weird instrument, I remember the name that you uh what it was called, but that type of string instrument where there's a noisy and goes, do do, doo, 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 doo it's very creepy, these last few notes. Very unsettling creepy ending. I just absolutely adore it as someone who loves all things spooky and gothic. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, those ahs followed by doo doo do, doo do, doo doo just kinda give a sense of like the ghost completely taken over.
1: Mm hmm I do have to wonder I mean, I've already kind of recorded a, a little brief thing about night End. stock. By the way, that episode's gonna be like nine minutes and forty five seconds. I wanted yeah, it to I at least be under <laughs> <three hundred laughs> ten minutes. But I do have to wonder like why this lead why she has this leading into Night It's stock, which
0: I was kinda like not real sure why I feel like I feel like it works very well because you have the you have the usual these three songs with the wedding list, Violin, and Infant Kiss. Which are pretty much completely over the top, and then that the odds kind of then bring you down into Army Dreamers. So Army Dreamers is a much calmer, so with the mm. vault, um tempo and and just the the, the style of the songs. Way I think it's it's kind of just like taking a breath, a much needed breath. Like I think mm. it's a really it's a, it's really important and nice bridge in the song in the album for because this song is just so as we said so tense. It's unbearably mm-hmm. tense and just and build so much tension that you have then like thirty seconds of just release, then Army Dreamers, which is also more low key, and then goes into breathing, which is just I mean that song contains multitudes and is like an entire worthy of an entire album's worth of exploration on its own. Mm-hmm. So um so I think that you need after having three songs in a row as intense as The Wedding List, Violin, and The Infant Kiss, you need to take a breath. Very
1: true. I could see that. Because it is very calming. It's like 52 seconds of just her,
0: like, ah. <laughs> it's very true. Yeah. But, uh, like, kind of without that, it's like if you, if, you, if you just have The Infant Kiss go into RBG, I just, as I said, I just like those three, the trilogy, what I always call the diva trilogy, are just so intense that you need some kind of come down. Like I personally like albums in general where not every song has the same range of intensity, like where mm-hmm. you'll have kind of peak, like goes up and down. So I think she, she kind of needed to bring it down a little bit in order for the listener to reacclimate and readjust and be able to like actually pay enough attention to army dreamers and breathing. Mm-hmm.
1: So for you, yeah, but- you've got the diva trilogy. You were kind of, digging a little
0: bit on here yeah what i've noticed what i was thinking about is that with these you know there's all my barriers are going starting to show so she's ta- this song about the turmoil in regards to losing self-control and something i only just realized mm. is with the diva trilogy there's really connection with all three songs in that so the wedding list as we talked about in the interview she said that it was about when revenge takes over you and um, oh. and being overtaken by revenge, and then violin is kind of being overtaken by the wildness of the violin and the wildness of as what she calls the banshees you know the music, and then this song is about being overcome by forbidden desire, so I feel like you have these three extremely intense songs, both musically and lyrically, about being overwhelmed by something inside yourself that you can't control or something out, and then again so that's why it's nice to have a little breath after with night senses stuff as my second favorite on the album probably um i mean it's hard to say i really love this album but just something I, i just have my whole life have loved anything that is spooky and supernatural and gothic so this song even without knowing the context just the sound of it with the mounting strings and the tension plays into that as well as just the it's my fate it's my favorite vocal performance of hers ever and that's saying a lot because i'm such a huge fan and there are so many vocal songs that she performs flawlessly but something about her vocals in this song just my absolute favorite um It has also my favorite vocal moment moment of her entire career.
3: Um, Mm -hmm. Mentioned
0: it in the in the intro, but when she has no control, voices she makes the word "no" into like an entirely different language. Basically, that is my favorite vocal moment in her entire career. But she does it a few times, even like. But things are not right. Like she just goes through so many different notes within a few. Syllables in this song. And it really just, it sends me, as they say. it's I feel like I'm like being sent to the heavens or something. um So the strong, the strings that build the tension and build builds build, then gets too much. Just, it breaks. And I think it's just the way that backing vocals are used in that way, as kind of the backing vocals are her it, are kind of the things that she's trying to suppress. And then eventually it takes over. Steve, find your way to... and she can't control it anymore. And the way she uses his vocals that way to me is brilliant. And again, I liked the ha- basic character having a moment. It had mm-hmm. soft thought for me, the Henry James reference. I'm a Henry James fan. And yeah, so I just love this song. So just something about it just, i don't want to say it touches my heart, but there's a lyric says his whole hand is on my heart. So it's, I understand why people don't feel comfortable listening to it, um, for sure, and I think of mm-hmm. valid. Um, but I think that considering what it's the, that it's actually about, like a ghost story, it's just it's such a fact. Like I mean, it's just who like she she you know before the Side came out, she wrote over 100 songs, so she's had plenty of material. So it's interesting that she's like this is one I'm going to put on my album, and then that becomes the number one album, the first number one album mm-hmm. by female soul artist in Britain. You know, it's just like it's just interesting that of all the things to be on a lot of pop like this is not a pop song. it's not it's not a pop song and in terms, not just the content but also the structure so i think it's just a really fascinating choice for her to include i mean i think there's a lot of things this album that are extremely experimental and not pop delius the breathing and this as well are just she's really going somewhere different that isn't pop and that are really to be honest like corny theater kid music in this in the, in the sense of this song but um but i just absolutely adore the drama i just the thing is i like music as dramatic as possible for example mm-hmm. both you and i are big fans of florence the machine <laughs> my favorite album of hers woo, and my favorite album is her ceremonials because it's ah. just is so dramatic like literally it's just like drama banger after bang after banger drama and every song has to do with ghosts and like spirit mm-hmm. and like spooky shit Beginning, so she says. When she says, "I say good night, night," the way she says it is very. It's, I don't want to say shrill because that's used for such a pejorative way often, but it kind of it's the type of thing where if you put this song on, someone will. It's kind of like when you put *Wuthering Heights* and someone's like, "Oh my gosh, what is that?" It's kind of the same re- reaction, mm-hmm. where it's like, "Oh, that's a very high note." Okay, wow, because there are other times, for example, Delius, think her vocals are more. I mean, she does go with the really high at the end, but mm-hmm. it doesn't start out even. Babushka, she starts out in more of a neutral playing ground, but here she's starting out so high.
2: I say good night, night. I took him in
0: Things
2: are
0: not That right. just really takes you back. And then I like the what is this infant kiss, just the way the strings kick in there is really amazing. And then when mm-hmm. she says, I've never fallen a little for a little boy before, it's like Oh, well, I hope not. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, and then and then there goes the classic no control, my favorite moment mm-hmm. ever. And then says, so "Just a kid at just a school at home." They'd call me dirty. I love how she says dirty. It's this infant kiss that sends
2: my body tingling.
0: her british
1: accent i know and um, I, I, what i love a part of what i like about kate is that she lets her english accent through like she doesn't go no i'm gonna make it you know i'm gonna like neutralize my accent no if if there's an r in the word i'm not gonna pronounce it that's So yeah, yeah i like that too yeah and yeah
0: and then i like his i then the next part he's his little hand is on my heart He's got me where it hurts me. I like that. I think that's pretty poetic. He's
2: got me where it hurts me.
0: Then she has knock knock who's there in this baby you know how to work me. Mm. So as you mentioned great bulk bunches you know how. I mean I'm not gonna Yeah like oh, the squ- that's, it's that's this like her. Yelpy I love thing.
2: It
1: yeah, this little yelpy thing yeah. she does you know you know how to work like she she's like doing a lot of stuff with like forcing air through and like how to work me, kind of like that. It's a
0: re, yeah, I'll, it's the type of thing where I'm listening to my iPod, because I'm old person to my iPod, not my phone. I'll like scroll back and re listen to that line so I love what she does, Oakley but mm. But the lyric itself is a little it kind of throws you into 1980s for, for a little bit for me. where like that's like some it's uh, that almost sounds something to do that's right. Like, oh, she knows how to work me, baby, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of profane and not ethereal in like the sense of like the ghost story element of this song kind of should be, yeah. but she does it vocally so well. Unlocked and then I'd like all my barriers are going starting to show 'Cause that's, you know, the turmoil that she's talking about in regarding to losing self-control. And then it's interesting when she says, "I cannot sit and let something happen; I'll regret." Oh, he scares me because she's struggling, it seems, in this song with her own desire and how act and if she should act on her own desire. But here she seems more passive, saying, "I cannot sit and let something happen; I'll regret," as if, well, I mean, in the sort she's concerned that. In the context of the story, the concern is that the ghosts are going to kill the children, which it kind of does in the end when that's how so she kisses him, like, when he's dead. But yet, interesting because it seems like this song is from wrestling with their own inner demons, but now she's talking out like someone else acting upon other people or upon her. And it is, I mean, it is a story about a governess trying to protect the children she doesn't really seem to interpret it that way in her lyrics. But mm-hmm. then suddenly for like two lines, she does.
3: I cannot see tonight,
1: well, it sounds like, I mean, because this is supposed to be about somebody who's very conflicted. And I can see that where you, you were just saying that, well, it sounds like one thing. But then she's got two lines here. They've taken it in a different direction.
0: And ah. Yeah, and then she says, there's a man behind those eyes. So there we go. with the man with the child behind mm-hmm. his eyes. The man with the child in his eyes. Um, yeah, and I also one of then she says, after something happens, I'll regret one of my other favorite moments is, ooh, he scares me. Ooh, he scares me. behind me. those eyes. It's the same thing she cut. Ca- does on no control she she with the no control she repeats that in things are not right the no control and oh he scares me so that's kind of like a a, like a vocal pattern she repeats three times in that um and it's just such a brilliant i haven't really heard anyone do anything like that before in any other song Mm. it's just a plus vocal delivery on that oh he scares me Oh, oh, he's
1: scary. <laughs> yeah. She hits a nice high high F sharp on there. I was looking at the sheet music here. And, oh, because it's, oh, it's just so pretty. I love it when she sings high like that. Yay.
0: Well, the thing is, it's but it's also, I, would, I wouldn't call it pretty. I think it's more like startling, you know, which goes with the song really well. Like, this is a song that I feel is very, even if it had totally different lyrics, and it was just different lyrics, you're singing it the same way. It's really clearly polarizing almost in the same way that *Wolverine* Heights is polarizing, just because it's so vocally over the top and extreme. That's the kind of thing where like, all the musical theater nerds are going to like, kind of. Um, and yeah, some other lyrics, it's just it's silly, but when she says, I want to smack, but I hold back, I only want to touch. I don't know, that, that, something about that line makes me laugh. I don't know. Something, <laughs> something silly about
1: it. Actually, I kind of chuckle at that line too as well.
0: Yeah, it's interesting when she says, I catch him when I'm bending. There's a man behind those eyes, I catch him when I'm bending. So I just picture, like, as, you know, wiggly Blonde, like, the bend and snap. Oh, and, yes, like, like, I she think she of that, have, too. Like, she's, like, she's, I always feel like, the like, her literally bent over, like, and, like, he like, watching her but Like, <laughs> it's just, like some reason it just makes me, like, silly. I just, I'm silly. And those eyes, I catch him.
1: No, I thought of that too.
0: Like, and bend and snap, bend and snap. Yeah, <laughs> but it's interesting. It's like she's she's noticing him watching her. She's gets caught in mm. she gets to him while she's bent over. Is like because he's he watching her bent over. It's, it's that sexual.
1: Yeah, never thought of that.
0: Yeah, and then I want to smack, but I hold back. Like, does she want to smack the governess or like smack? That? <laughs> sorry i don't mean to joke about pedophilia i really really do not i'm a social worker i work with children i promise i'm not joking it's not laughing matter to me yep
1: i've I totally yep yep I got it but yeah there, there are a couple of other um so I'm just looking at the I too like that his little hand his little hand is on my heart for some reason mm-hmm. That let that line stick out to do. me as well and the other there's a man behind those <laughs> eyes it's oh, like the man with the man with the child in his eyes but it's the child with the man in his eyes Wendy mm-hmm. Whaley blows me I find it being interesting line. I
0: interesting. Yeah, I thought interesting too, because I also like, didn't know she was saying that for really long. That's one of Me those, those really classic moments <laughs> where you have no idea what she's saying, you just go with it. Oh yeah. But I'm like, oh, okay, that's and also the words of caress on their lips they speak of adult love. I didn't, I didn't know she was saying that until quite recently, but that's okay, whatever, it's just fun with it. Yeah, I didn't know either. <laughs> so, but whose lips also? So it's like. Like, is it, I'm presuming, based on the source material, that it's the children's lips that are speaking of adult love, which is interesting.
1: Like the whole, oh, this is a kid, but there's, they're doing something that I don't expect them to do, that, that I don't know, like a kid, it, it, almost in a way, like a, ki- a little kid, you hear a little kid uh, drop a bunch of F-bombs or something like that, and you're right. just kind of like, what, huh? Excuse me, what is yeah. that coming out of your mouth? What?
0: Well, yeah. Well, I mean it's about two children who are, depending on how you interpret it, possessed by the spirits of two adults or that she is that she believes because she is going mad herself are possessed by the spirits of two adults. So I that's how I would interpret it. But it's uh but yeah, but it's but that creates a lot of the windy whales, words caress, definitely very atmospheric.
1: Mhm.
0: Yeah, I'm not quite but not really much... what I love about this song is just like the music, like the musical composition and how tense and Mm-hmm. and extra and dramatic it is. Just all the things that I love about her that people that people who hate her hate about her. Like for example so I mentioned that my college, like, mentor and favorite professor, the Henry Jane scholar, she actually said to me that, um, listening to Kate said Kate Bush quote hurts my ears, <laughs> but I the thing is, though, I understand I respect that and understand it because she's into like really like deep blues music, so you're not going to be into Kate Bush if you're into that. So, this is a, exactly the type of song where if Kate Bush hurts her ears, this is like the type exactly the type of song where you'll be like, Oh, god, that wailing harpy,
1: and that's what I like too. I because this is still at her the point of her career where. She's still sounding where her, her vocal tone is still sounding a little bit young, but it's starting to get a little bit more muscular, like what she would definitely start doing on the dreaming. And I like that. I like her, you know, you think it's, y'all think it's shrill. I think it's cool. I mean, grandma.
0: Yeah. And I don't think that. She, and like I, yes, she's thrilled, But to me, that's not a, a bad thing. To me, that's an interesting thing, and a good thing. And I just, I really, what I think is really perfectly captured in this song is this is such a perfect moment where of where her voice still has the best of both worlds
3: mm-hmm. of
0: having the, the the kind of growing maturity where she is doing where she is Broadway deep. Like this is, I feel like the kind of Broadway diva element of this song. Is something that you don't hear vocally on the kicking side. Like, she, her voice is still really wonderful and his amazing range there, but it's not, it's just you don't get that Broadway Diva sense that you get here. Um, and at this point, it's developed into that, but still retains the range and high pitch of the kicking side in Lionheart. So I really like a uh, it's a marriage of, of different vocal styles.
1: And speaking of different vocal styles, so in the French version that she released this song a couple of years later as a B-side for Ne T'en Pas, her voice, I can tell that in just the two years since this album, since this version was released and then the French version, that her voice, she's still hitting the same high notes For sure, but her voice sounds like deeper somehow, especially on the the French version on uh, Le Baiser d'Enfant, which literally means the infant kiss.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because it does sound deeper, but also when I listen to to the French version, I do feel like she does hit the same high notes as just as successfully. So I'm kind of like, oh, it's a shame she didn't... She still clearly so capable of doing it. And she does on the Dreaming. She does some really mm-hmm. amazing high notes. She does. But, like, then it's like, oh, well, if she was still able to do it, she still should have kept on doing it, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. You know, old, you know? But that's just because I'm partial to her early vocals. But, um... But if there's moments in the French version. I find it so. I think also why I thought it sounded more high pitched than you did is because I thought she sounded more frightened mm-hmm. in this version. As well. oh, and, that, I, I agree. and that might be because she's singing in a language that she doesn't know and is being said yeah. the words. <laughs> um, so that might be why she's scared. But I think she sounds more genuinely scared in this. But like, like, in the infant kiss, there's in the English version, it's there's so much passion in the lyrics and tension but this sounds in the french version it sounds more like fear almost and mm-hmm. dupe, like fear of herself and fear of what's happening um, yeah she's definitely
1: got more vibrato so kind of pitch higher yeah and she's definitely yeah. got like more vibrato when
0: she's singing where it's kind of it's well, like oh like she's traveling like. later on mm-hmm. i mean she does that in general later on like when she redid wuthering heights the like version number two It's more vibrato y. I mean it's more it's more clear and sharp, but also more like vibrato yeah. Mm -hmm. She tends to do that later on.
2: baby
1: The French version um, had French lyrics that she didn't write. I It was my understanding that she's she took French classes, but not enough to write a song in it. But the French lyrics were by uh, François Cal. Cahan looks like Cahan. I'm saying it like in French. François Cal. And he uh, I cannot find anything about him except that he wrote lyrics for the song. So I don't know who this François is. Uh, it was recorded in one day by Kate, Dell, Palmer, and Paul Hardiman on October 16th, 1982, so not long after The Dreaming was released. Interesting. And it was released as the B-side for Nathan T'en and on the Canadian US mini LP Kate Bush. And it was my understanding that they were trying to break Kate into the Canadian market. And that's part of mm. why she decided why they had her do songs in French. Why this particular one? You and I both, like, I'm like, seriously, why
0: this one? Pourquoi? Pourquoi? You know? I mean, I love this song. As I said, second favorite song, one of my top ten Kate Bush songs of all time. But like to be like, okay, so this is made after dreaming. You have four albums. Which one of these are we going to release? We have, have let like, let's say each song, has, has ten songs. We have 40 songs to each. Other. Which what like maybe would should, will we translate the man the child one eyes? Something more palatable? No, we're gonna go with the one that sounds like it's about pedophilia, unless you know about the very complex backstory. Mm-hmm. So I like, it's very, inc- I mean, it's, a, I'm like, why? I mean, I don't mind that she translated into French because I love this song, but from a marketing perspective and a business perspective, it, it does not make very much sense. No. She had, she had chosen a of all of her songs. I mean, she has so, so many songs to choose from and to make this the one that you release as a single to break into other markets.
1: Yeah. But
0: she was, but she is bigger in Canada than she is in America. Mm-hmm. So,
1: and the French lyrics they're based they're a basic translation of the English lyrics, except that they slightly tweaked some of the lines to so that there could be a, like a clear rhyme scheme. Uh, mm-hmm. I know, like the first two lines, uh, "Je dis bonne nuit, bonne nuit, je le bon dans mon lit, my ça ne veut pas." That's basically, um, um, I say good night, good night. I put him into bed, but it's not, but. But it's not going well, or but things aren't well. What is this? A kiss that makes me tremble. I mean, it's it's hmm. the basic things that like she was singing in English. is just slightly tweaked because it's in just French to make it rhyme. To make it rhyme, yeah, because you yeah, it's know, yeah, kind of the Yeah, because I'm a really big France.
0: The French um singer Francois Hardy, and like she, oh, no. there are some translations of her songs into English, where the content is pretty much the same, but they change the words to make mm-hmm. them rhyme more. So like, I it, it seems like they the reverse. You do that. I mean, that has that's a big thing that happens all over the world, which oh, actually yeah. is ironically the song I was thinking the Francois Hardy song I was thinking of, which. Uh, did Don Lemon Dantier, which was translated all over the world. It's pretty much the exact same message,
4: but mm-hmm. just like
0: the words you changed to rhyme.
1: Well, thank you so much for being
0: on the show. It's always great to talk to you. Yay! Yeah, yeah, great to talk to you, especially about this song. I hope that more people take a liking to it and more people listen to it now because it does not get the love it deserves. It's in my top ten of hers, for sure. And, like, most people either are like, either that song's kind of gross, or they forget about it. And I don't really know how they forget about it because the vocals are just so powerful.
1: Mm-hmm. But they do. Yep. And I definitely agree on the voice. Oh, yeah. She,
0: she really I mean, pushes herself. Really- yeah, just the no control and oh, he scares me. Like those are just some of the best moments I've heard vocally from anyone.
1: And for somebody who uses her voice in so many different
0: ways, that's saying a lot. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. It's almost, she almost becomes spectral and ghost-like here. So as, as I've compared it to Wuthering Heights a few times. I've noticed as I've been talking, and I think, this song actually would, like, if you like Wuthering Heights, this is kind of along the same lines. hmm Well, she does,
1: Kate Butch does like to become something otherworldly in a lot of her songs. Like, she's almost like
0: she yeah. once tries to become the song, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, and in her performance style as well. she. Her dance movements are what she describes as she's dancing in a way that she feels embodies the song, where she's becoming the song, no matter how ridiculous it looks. <laughs> so um, <laughs> endearingly ridiculous, I should say. So yeah, so she, so it, she just puts her on. And that's what I, what I love about her vocalist is just that you always believe that she believes what she's saying. And that's 100% she's this song. You hear all the conflict that the narrator is going through feels completely authentic and she sells it 100%. That she does. Like it is almost as if it's it's funny because it's a song about children who are possessed, but she almost sounds possessed by this character. Yeah,
1: and that's always her from the very beginning her her style is like I if I'm going out on TV and I'm singing my song about Wuthering Heights, I am going to be like Kath. I'm going to be like Catherine Earnshaw.
0: Yeah, she's kind of, when you think about it, and this is looking forward to Houdini, but she in herself is almost a medium who channels so many different voices and so many different people mm. just within her own pers- in her own personhood. And this song, I think, is a very, is like an A-plus example of where just like the spirit of an entirely other being is coming through her because this song has nothing to do with her life, has nothing to do with anyone's life, maybe it's a fiction, and... Um, oh. It's not even something that like she would think about. I I mean I don't think on a daily basis. So um, <laughs> so so I so this is just I like the more I think about her as an artist, I think part of her artistry is the ability to be ch- almost like this kind of channel and a medium who lets other voices and spirits come through her mm-hmm. so throughout her career.
1: If you have a favorite Kate Bush song or even a couple songs that you'd like to talk about for a future episode, or you know something about this week's song that we didn't get to in our discussion, here's where you can contact me. You can find me either on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Kate Bush Podcast on Twitter at StrangeKateCast, or on the web at kbcast.linkmedia.com. That's linked with an E. Oh, and also there's email, kbcast at linkmedia.com. Again, that's link with an E. Join us next week for an episode about a very short track called Night a Stock. See everybody then. There was a singer in the 70s who was super popular. This part's probably going to get cut out. There was this popular singer in the 70s. His name was uh, Claude Francois. Claude Francois. And he was like a huge fan of Frank Sinatra. He basically wanted to be like the French version of Frank Sinatra. He did write a song that was the basis for My Way, actually. Um, We listened to this in French class. It was called... um, Come d'habitude, which means as usual, and the content oh, of that song. You say it was in the seventies? Oh, this was for this was in the sixties. Um, he, uh, for, oh, Claf- okay, yeah, Claude François did this song called uh, "Come d'habitude, which means as usual. And my French teacher showed it to us because he uses the past tense, and so he's talking about all these things that he did, and it's supposed to show a couple just going through the motions of their relationship, but it's deteriorating, and they're just doing everything as That's usual, as soothing. usual.
0: What's up? Not kind of like warm
1: and soothing. I and yeah, basically like that. And um, Paul Anka or somebody, one of these songwriter guys, he heard Cla- Claude Francois singing this song on French TV while he was in vacation. And he said, oh, my God, I love this melody. I need to put it to English so I can give it to Frank Sinatra. And then when he adapted oh, wow. it into English... They completely change the content of the song. Like they are the only things that those two songs have in common are the melody and the constant and the build up to the big climax at the end. Interesting. Yeah, like the two songs are completely different. Yeah. And then Claude Francois, like part of his appeal was that he would take English language songs and then adapt them into French and sometimes
0: completely change the content interesting, because nor it's the normal practice to not do that. For example, you've probably heard of the famous French um, film composer, Michel Legrand. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, the movie The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, which I hope you've seen. <gasps> yes, she had, she I saw it, it
1: in like, f- I saw it in like French 4. Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, awesome. Oh, I love it. So, so the big song from that, I don't know the French title, but the American title is I Will Wait For You. And that, um, oh. so for example, that song, it but like I actually have like I I don't listen there I have like three it's performed like three times in the movie I love that song so much I have all three versions downloaded, um I listen to them, like I'm like a masochist it <laughs> makes me cry so I'm like I'm just gonna make us all cry um I know it's a it's a tragic movie but, oh my god yeah well yeah well, that's a whole other discussion but like but but basically like so that the lyrics to that so basically they took the like, she is saying in the song it is about waiting for the boy to come back but it was translated into lyrics into english lyrics to say something like four thousand summers i'll wait for you it's like it's the same concept but completely different lyrics and it became a huge hit in america and so generally americans who know that movie are aware of it through that song but it's actually so it's the same melody and the same theme, but totally different lyrics. So like she's not saying there's no at no point does she say like four thousand summers. I'll wait for you, but that's the most famous line in the English version. Oh, but I it's the see. same basic concept. I will wait for you. But so that English was a pretty common thing. Of yeah, I will purée. wait. For you. But it, but it, yeah, I don't I know. Will... In, yeah, it, if you have looked up, I can like email you like the like the scene in French. It's it, well, there's two. There's I mean, there's. Um, there's like the main scene where it first happens, then there's the, the final scene where they re. I, or I can't. I'm like gonna cry I'm thinking that final scene. Uh, yeah. But anyways, you can go back talking it. <laughs>
1: yes, of course. I know that whole part is probably gonna get cut out, but you know that's okay.
4: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football